ask you to help us open up our heart to you. Lord, we're reminded of a church that once closed their doors to you. And you had to stand outside and knock and ask for the doors of the heart of the church to be opened so that you could come in and dwell with them again. Lord, Holy Spirit, would you help us? You're not going to do us any harm. You're going to gently come, set us free, and enable us to live the life that you've called us to live. Jesus, we're assured of your promise where you said, I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come to give you life. Lord, I pray that you would help us recognize the enemy today that has veiled himself in so many ways, so many attractive ways that we've fallen for. Lord, I pray that we would open our heart to you and surrender to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, why don't you say thank you to Jesus? He's going to speak to us. You can be seated this morning. Well, what a great morning. What a great morning we're having this morning. And I really do believe, you know, very simply that the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us, each of us this morning, because He loves us very much. He really does. You know, the wonderful thing about Jesus is that He doesn't come to fill our head full of knowledge. He doesn't come to you know, get broaden our intellect or win an argument. Jesus comes to every single one of us because He loves us. Because He wants to be involved in our lives. He doesn't want any one of us to walk alone through this life, to be distracted by all of the bright, empty promises of this world. He wants to come alongside us not to bludgeon us by religion. Not to, you know, force us into his mold. Or, or grab us in a stranglehold to conform to his way. No, he comes to each and every one of us in those moments. Those surprising moments where we would think we would find him least. He comes and surprises us. Very often we think we have to come, you know, to places that we would associate with religion. We often get into the way of thinking that we, we have to do certain things in order for God to meet us. And suddenly He surprises us as He meets us in those unexpected ways on the journey of life. And where we would least expect to find Him, we find Him there. Dale was in a pub uptown. What pub was it, Dale? Ziggy's. My God. G 
Jesus even goes to Ziggy's. I don't think he's running any longer, Dale, is he? Do you know what? But doesn't it tell you everything about the Savior that loves us? I tell you, you can't put him in a box. He loves us so much. He loves people so much. And you know this as well as I do. You don't have to sit down in a classroom and be lectured at to find out about him. Oh, he's so far bigger than any of that. He loves us dearly. And I just love when I read the Bible how he comes into people's lives in the most unexpected, the most unusual of ways. Where you would least expect to find him suddenly is there. And not there to condemn, not there to point out sin, not there to rub people's noses in their failure. There to love them and to wrap his arms around them and to be proud that he's associated with them and to be called their brother and their friend. That's what I love about Jesus. That's what I love. That's where daylight is encounter with Jesus in a pub. And if we went round the room, we would be amazed at where Jesus has met each and every one of us. And he's taken time not to meet us, like I said, in a crowd. He's take, taken time to personally introduce himself to us, each and every one of us, one by one. It's a personal audience that you get with the King of Kings. It's a personal encounter. It's a miracle. It's a miracle that happens in your heart. If I could give you it, I would give you it. But I can't give you it and nobody else can give you it. You get to have something far better than it being passed on by another person. You get a personal audience with Jesus Christ. A personal encounter. That is love on a scale that's unimaginable. That's love on a scale for you as an individual that can never be calculated or estimated. Oh, he's so wonderful. He's so glorious. He is so incredible. Like, the, the, like Solomon said in his writings, he's fairer than 10,000. And basically he was saying he's the fairest of them all. Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. He's so wonderful. He really is. He really is. And we have the privilege to be the ambassadors, to carry the message and the hope of the gospel to a lost world, to a world that is lonely, to a world that is estranged from God. You know, our claim as a society is that we're more connected than ever. And yet, with all of our connections, we find ourselves more disconnected than we've ever been as a society. We're more disconnected. We're more alone. That's right. We're in more need than we've ever been as a group of people, as a society. But oh, we are the heralds of good news. 
We are the messengers of light. We are the carriers of the gospel of grace, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, which says in its essence, if you're alone, you don't have to walk on your own in life. You really don't. There is one that will never leave you, who will never forsake you, and his name is Jesus. And I'm excited. I'm telling you something now. Because the kingdom of God will advance through our lives. It really will. Not because you have to do it. And it's a task and a drudgery and a burden. I'm telling you now. The kingdom of God. This gospel of good news is going to advance through your life for one reason and one reason alone. The the upsurge of love in your heart for lost people is going to burst out before burst out within you and it's going to send you out into the harvest fields, into the highways and the byways, wherever you are in life. And your life is going to become a a visible message and demonstration of God's love in action. It's not even going to be defined simply by what you say. People are going to look at you and they're going to see the spirit of God's glory upon you, resting on your life. You're, You're being watched all the time. You're, a, you're an advert for his love. The Bible says you actually diffuse a, an aroma of God's love and God's grace. Even when you're unaware of it. The love of God, the grace of God is seeping out of your eyes and every pore of your being. It really is. Not because you're trying to do it. It's just because Jesus lives in you. He really does. And as we've looked at the, 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 some of the stories in the Gospels, it's been wonderful to see, hasn't it? All of those unusual ways in which Jesus met people. All of those unusual ways in which he encourages us to meet others. We looked at John chapter 20 last week, where Jesus was speaking to his disciples. Probably the lowest moment of their lives. They thought they were going to be rejected. They'd failed they deserted Jesus. They'd left him at his greatest moment of need. And they were in the room expecting to be condemned. They were in the room expecting to be pulled up. And yet grace walks into the room and the first thing he says, peace. And he disarms all their fears. He disarms all of the condemnation and the guilt and the shame. The Prince of Peace, when he says peace... I'm telling you now, something supernatural takes place right in the core of your being. He doesn't speak like you and I. I'm telling you now, His Word, when He speaks, everything changes. Everything changes in the atmosphere, in the very core of our being. And we're all well aware of the wonderful living power of the Word of God. And its ability to bring order. He stands in that room where there's disorder, where the enemy, the accuser of the brethren, has, has, has wreaked havoc with Jesus' disciples that he, he'd loved, and they were left tattered. And he comes in and he brings order where there's disorder. Peace to you, he says. And then once he'd established peace in their hearts, he sends, he gives them a commission. And this was the beautiful thing about it. He said this, Just as the Father 
has sent me, so I am sending you. Just think back, boys, over the last three years. You've watched me. You've observed me. You've seen the power of God move through me. You've seen how my words have carried weight. You've seen my hands heal every kind of disease. You've seen even the dead raised. You've seen provision. Now, as I have been sent by Father, I'm sending you. Just imagine what happened in their expectation. Just imagine what happened in their heart for the future. Their whole future was going to be characterized by that word that he spoke to them and other words that he would speak to them as they were sent. And my God, when you read how they walked into their world, it was a very manifestation of these words that Jesus had spoke to them in the privacy of that room in John chapter 20. Why? Could they walk with such power, such authority? Why could they turn the world upside down? Why could they plant churches in every nation of the world? Why could they continually see the miraculous? I'll tell you why. Nothing to do with them. Everything to do with this word that Jesus gave them in John chapter 20. As Father has sent me, so I am sending you. When he said that, everything in the future changed for them. I'm telling you, when he speaks, when he speaks to you, everything about your future changes. It really does. We looked at four statements and we tried to encapsulate in these statements what the grace of God is as we see it in Jesus's life as he was sent by the father to understand how Jesus wants to send us into our world let me go through them again with you as we get into what we're going to get into today we're just going to cover point number three today but we covered two points last week of these four points that we made let me let me go through them with you again regarding this grace that Jesus was full of that Jesus went into his world with he said this oh sorry we said this number one grace cannot be defined only displayed secondly we said grace never holds our history against us thirdly the point we're going to look at today is that grace reaches the unreachable. And finally, we'll look a week Sunday because we've got Pastor Yogvan with us next week from the Billy Graham Association. Going to be fantastic. But a week Sunday, we're going to look at this final fourth point about grace being the missing ingredient. We're going to look at this third point today, how grace reaches the unreachable. It matters not how out of reach people seem. It matters not how disconnected people are. It matters not what condition people are in. Grace can reach the unreachable. How do I know that? Because it reached you and me. How do I know that? Because there are many, many, many occasions in the Bible that evidence it. Grace reaches the unreachable. Grace reaches those who are on the fringe. Grace reaches those 
who are in despair. Grace reaches those in our city that have no hope, that would never consider coming to a church or a gathering like this because they feel so ashamed and they feel so guilty and they feel so alone. But grace can reach them and grace is going to reach them. And grace through us is going to reach the unreachable within our communities and within our world. We're going to look at this today, how grace reached somebody that was seemingly unreachable. And we're going to look at Jesus and we're going to see, we're going to read about this. Let's read. I'm going to turn to John chapter 4, verse 1, a story that you all know really well. But think about this today, how the grace of God in Christ Jesus reached somebody that was so out of reach, somebody that was so full of shame, somebody that had been disqualified, somebody that was beyond all hope. Grace reached the unreachable. Let me read it to you, John chapter 4, verse 1, and we're going to read down to verse 26. It says this, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, through Jesus, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So when he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph, now Joseph's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with. And the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, 
And the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. The woman said to Him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Amazing words. An amazing personal encounter that a woman gets by a well. A meeting that came into the monotony, the mundane of life. She had no expectation that anything was going to happen other than what she had set out to do to get water from the well. And yet Jesus has need to go through Samaria. Jesus picks up on the senses and the voice of his father. And he, he is aware of that alarming need, that urgency to pass through Samaria. Jesus was leaving Judea. That's what we've read. And he was on his way to Galilee. A 70 mile journey. You know I went earlier last year with Paul and Hillary. An amazing trip we had in Israel. And Paul's running a trip this year. I tell you now, if you can, get your name down. You'll love it. Not only are they amazing hosts. I'm telling you now, Paul teaches the Bible on a level around all of these historical places that is just unparalleled. And he's, he's you know, he's part of this, they're part of this family and have been for many, many years. But you realize, and this is what I became aware of and Paul made us all aware of, when we were traveling around in our nice air-conditioned bus, Jesus didn't have an air-conditioned bus. Jesus was walking on dusty roads in blistering heat. All to do the will of his Father. He had no of those, he had none of those comforts that we had. And he was on his way to Galilee. Just like these children. From one place to another. Look, that's it. They were on their way. They're on their way. And Jesus was on his way. I think they're going to do a couple of laps now around the building. But you know, Jesus was on his way. A 70-mile journey. And suddenly, as they're nearing Samaria, there's a need within him. There's an alarm within in him. He awakens 
to this sense that he's got to go through Samaria. Do you know there were two other routes that Jesus could have taken? But he chose to go through Samaria. Now this was a really contentious issue. This detour that Jesus was making. This wasn't just, you know, a decision to go through Samaria because it was the shortest route. And we'll see that in a few, well, maybe this week or a few weeks' time because he ended up being there two and a half days. So it wasn't to get to Galilee through Samaria because it's the quickest route. He was there for two and a half days by the end of this day. But he, he, this need awakens within him. What is God's word saying to us? As we look at this detour that Jesus makes, even though it was a very contentious decision that he was making, because the Jews hated the Samaritans and the Samaritans hated the Jews, and Jews would rather walk round Samaria than go through it, Jesus heads through it. What is it saying to us? Well, let's be open to those divine detours that we have to make, that we may have to make, that God lays on our hearts. You can't structure the Spirit of God. You can't put Him in a box. He's spontaneous. And you can't ask Him why He wants you to go somewhere and give you all of the details outlined before you take the step. It's a walk of faith. And I would, you know, I would, I would think that Jesus had no idea that he was going to meet this woman. Maybe he did. But I, I think, you know, that Jesus had no idea that he was going to meet this woman by this well on this day. There was just an impulse and a sense that he had to make a detour into this region that was a highly contentious place. And as he took the step of faith and he walked, everything began to unfold as he came into that place where he sat by a well and he met that woman. Do you know we have to be open to these detours? We have to be open to the impulses of the Spirit to be led by the Holy Spirit out there where we are in our world. I heard a testimony by a pastor from India on one occasion. A wonderful man. And one night as he was sleeping, the Holy Spirit woke him up in the middle of the night. And he said, you need to get up, get out of your house right now. And initially he thought, it's three o'clock in the morning. Pitch black. But being obedient, he rose from his bed, dressed and went downstairs. And he said, where are we going, Lord? He said, just get out and walk. You see, it's a walk of faith. Moment by moment, you have to exercise your faith as God speaks to you. He's not going gi to give you the details necessarily all the time. This pastor walked and he may have walked for half a mile, a mile, and suddenly he came to a large tree and the Holy Spirit said to him, you need to start preaching the gospel now, the love of God. He started to speak about God's love in John chapter 3 verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever believes in him might not perish but have everlasting life. And then the Holy Spirit says, now make the appeal. 
And by that, he began to appeal in the middle of the night, pitch black, no street lights in the middle of India, but led by the Spirit. Under a large tree, led by the Spirit, mentally confused, yes, but the Spirit of God inside him, anointing him to speak the Word of God, even though his mind was contending with the direction from heaven. Begins to preach, begins to appeal. And if you want to receive this love right now, I want you to come to me and I will pray for you and Jesus will come into your heart. And all of a sudden there was a rustling in the tree. And a man came down from the tree that he'd been preaching under, sobbing, crying, breaking his heart. He said, sir, he said, you have been sent to me from God. Because just before you came and started to preach about God's love and what it could do in my heart, I had decided to hang myself. I had decided this night was the night where I was going to end my life. And suddenly, he said, I saw you coming. And, 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 and I held my decision. And I decided that once you'd gone, I would do what I was going to do. And then suddenly, you stopped under the tree and started to preach in the middle of the night. And he said, now, he said, as you were preaching, I was accepting Jesus Christ as my Savior. Isn't it wonderful what Jesus can do when we allow His Spirit to speak to us? What if that man had rejected the detour that Jesus wanted him to take? What if that man had said, oh, it's too late. I'm too tired. Don't bother me. No, that man was aware of those impulses from the Holy Spirit. That Man was, his life was attuned to the voice of the Holy Spirit. In simplicity, he went and did what the Holy Spirit had commanded him to do. I want to tell you, I want to tell you, the Holy Spirit is going to speak to every one of us. He really is. It may not be as dramatic as that. It may be even more dramatic. But I'm telling you, God loves people. And that's why he's going to speak to you. Not so you can, you know, get a, a big head or I can get a big head and say, hey, God uses me like this. No, because he loves, because people's blessing is at the end of our obedience. And obedience is very unglamorous. Obedience is very raw and unspectacular. And very often... It cuts right into our agenda. But Jesus obeyed. He obeyed and he sat by the well. And he asked this woman for a drink. Do you know, sometimes what you've got to do to win people for Christ is just start talking. It's not rocket science. Just start talking. Sit down and have a chat. Relax. Don't worry. Don't be pressured that you've got to, you know, give out this big spiel. Just, just relax. 
with people. Converse with people. Just open your mouth and start talking. And allow the Holy Spirit to steer. Jesus was a master at this. He didn't go with any recital, any religious recital. He was just dependent on the flow from his Father. And as his Father spoke, he spoke. And the wonder of it all. And he just began to talk to this lady. And it's amazing what happened even as he just began to speak and ask for a drink. She raised an argument. She began to argue with Jesus. And she argued on three levels. And usually these are the three arguments that you'll be faced with. But you know what? Don't argue. We are not here to argue with people. We really aren't. We are not even here to get drawn into an argument. You can win an argument intellectually and a person can be lost eternally. We, we don't want to get into arguments. We just want to deliver the good news of the gospel. When Dale was in Zizi's, Ziggy's, do you know what? A gracious man came up to him. Dale had a pint of John Best in his hand. And you know what, right? A man didn't come to Dale to argue with him. He could have argued with Dale intellectually. And you know what? That man, he may have won, won, uh, won the argument and lost such a valuable, precious person to the kingdom of God. But no, do you know what the guy did? This is beautiful. I love it. And this is the testimony of many of us. He got to be a mat, right? Got to be a mat. This is the gospel. And he drew, he, he drew a little stick man. I mean, talk about technology. We need technology. We need to be at the forefront to win our world. Uh-uh. No, you only need the Spirit of God. I've got no problem with technology. We'll max it out. Definitely. But if we ever think we need more than the Holy Ghost, we got a big problem. And I know we don't, do we? We know that the Holy Spirit is the only one that can do it. So, there he is, Behemoth. Give me that Behemoth by you. This guy draws a little stick man on the Behemoth, right? And then, and then like a big void. So, he says, Dale, he said, you're on this one part by here. And there's like a cliff with a big gap. And he said, God's by here. Now, he said, in the middle is sin. And you can't get to God. God wants to have a relationship with you because he loves you. You can't get to God because of sin, your personal sin. You can never do enough. You can never get yourself right. You can't get to God because of sin. But guess what God did, Dale? He sent Jesus. And then in the middle of that gap, in the middle of all of Dale's sin and our sin, the man drew a cross. And he said, you now, if you believe in Jesus, can cross over to God through Jesus. You can have a relationship with God in heaven whereby you can call him Father and a miracle can take place in your heart. Do you know what? He didn't even pray a prayer. Suddenly, peace came down. Is that right, Dale? 
peace. Dale, how, how, sorry, how long have you been a Christian now? 85. <laughs> oh, God. 105 years. <laughs> I tell you what, you can tell we're in Newport. We've got some amazing mathematicians. It encourages me. I tell you, it really encourages me to be amongst such wonderful people. 85. That would be my calculation as well, if you ask me. 34 years, right? 35, 34, 35 years. Now, if you would ask Dale, or if you were to ask me, right? Dale, could you sustain that for 35 years? Is it because of your resolve, Dale? Is it because, you know, you're just a strong-willed person and, yeah, you've got this impeccable life and you can follow Jesus at any cost? I think Dale would say no. I certainly would, right? But you know what? Jesus actually sustains you. Jesus enables you. Dale wasn't asked to make any big promise to God, right? We, none of us are asked to make a big promise to God. No, he makes all the promises. He makes all the promises. All he asks for, just simply believe. Do you believe that? Yes, he said, peace. And life, life for him, life for all of us, hasn't been perfect, but the one thing that's never left Dale or any one of us is that peace of the Savior. So this, this woman is, starts to argue with Jesus. And she argues on three fronts. The first one is on race. The second one is about reason. And the third one is about religion. They're the three arguments that you'll always face with people when you want to have a conversation with them about God. She said, how is it, race, how is it you being a Jew ask me, a Samaritan, for a drink. That's racial. She's bringing up all of the past prejudice. Why? She's hurt. She's hurt. How can she trust a Jew? How can she trust somebody that's separate from her culture? And, you know, we're all well aware within our society of the racial tensions that we have. And the arguments come. The arguments came from her about race. Jesus did not enter into an argument in relation to her about racial issues. Why? He wanted to save her. He wanted to reach her. What he was going to do by the end of it was bring revelation. And that corrects everything. So he doesn't enter into this racial tension. Then there was her reasoning reason, logic. How is it you ask me, she says, for a drink? Being a Jew and I'm a Samaritan, you're a man, I'm a woman. There was gender issues as well. But then she says this, you have nothing to draw with. What's that? Rationale, reason, logic. People will want to get into any and every kind of argument with you to divert you away and to divert God away from the real issue of life, their need for a savior. What have you got to draw with? Jesus doesn't even respond 
to that argument. You can have arguments thrown at you regarding all of the various issues. Well, if God cared, well, if this, that, and the other happened, then I'd believe in God. And then you get all of the evolution issues. Let me tell you, don't get involved in fruitless contentions. That's what Paul said to Timothy and Titus. Don't get involved in fruitless contentions, arguments, and religious debates. Why? We've got to reach people with the gospel. You could win an argument about evolution. Do you think if you win an argument about evolution, that's going to bring the gospel into somebody's heart? Not at all. They need a miracle. They need a personal encounter. They don't need answers to their intellect. They need Jesus to go somewhere that's far deeper. That's right. Their heart. Right into the core of their being. Jesus wouldn't get drawn into that kind of rationale. And then they go for the big one. She goes for the big one about religion. Religion is the issue. And she argues with him. He won't even get caught away. And suddenly he gets to why he's there. He gets to the reason. Right to the core. And he said, hey listen. He said, if you knew who it was who was asking you for a drink, you would ask me for a drink and I would give you living waters, a spring, a well, an abundant source whereby you would never thirst again. Suddenly he's got her. Because the thirst of her life, he's touching now, really at the core of her being. This is why he's there. She said, give me this. And she's thinking natural. He's thinking miracle. But he's, he's just bringing her in. He's lure, luring her in with a natural picture, a natural analogy that represents something tremendous, something spiritual, something miraculous that's going to occur in her heart. But he's using all of the aids around him physically for her to understand what was about to take place spiritually. She says, give me this. Give me this water. Give me this, this, this well whereby I will never thirst again and I won't have to come back and forth to this place. And he says, look how he just changes everything. Suddenly, he turns to another subject that's deeply personal. Okay, go call your husband. Uh-oh. Now, he wasn't doing this to shame her. He wasn't doing this. He wasn't doing this to make a public spectacle of her. You see, Jesus comes to her all alone. This wasn't an accident. This was designed. He doesn't come to us in crowds. He comes to us all alone so that he can talk about the matters that are most private. He can talk about all of the things that are hidden, that we hide away deep within us, hoping that nobody else will see them or find them. But the Master, the Lord, the Savior comes and he says, let's talk about your husband. 
I haven't got any husbands. Well, you've said rightly, that's right. You haven't got a husband. You've had five. And the one that you're with now isn't even your husband. And suddenly she perceives he's a prophet. Suddenly she perceives there's another world amidst her world of brokenness and pain and loneliness. I perceive you're a prophet, she says. Oh yeah, but much more than a prophet. I'm the Messiah, the Savior. And suddenly, her world is changed. Her world, that need, you see. What Jesus was talking to her about was the need within her, the thirst that she had, not physical thirst by a well to sustain her body, but the thirst within her, deep within her, that drove her to man after man, hoping to find fulfillment, relationship after relationship, hoping to find security, all to find, only to find despair, hurt, and pain. And Jesus goes to her as the living water to satisfy all of her needs. He says, one drink of this water from me, one drink of this grace dispensed from my being into your being will satisfy all of your needs, will satisfy all of your aches. And suddenly the woman finds fulfillment in Christ, so much so that she goes into the city and says to all of them, she doesn't argue with them. Isn't that beautiful? When you read this, you read on down the chapter. We haven't read this, but you read on down the chapter and she just goes into the city and she says, come and see a man that told me everything I ever did. You can read it. In John chapter 4, Jesus didn't tell her everything she ever did. Jesus just told her one thing. And yet that one thing had relation to all things. You see, he touches one thing in our lives and everything changes. One thing. She says, come and see a man. Come and meet a man that's, that's, that's told me everything I ever did. No, Jesus told her one thing, but when he touched the one thing, when he was Lord of the one thing, everything changed. That's transformation. She comes and Jesus reveals who he was to that multitude and he stayed. He stayed there for two and a half days. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing what he can do? Grace reaches. Grace reaches. The unreachable. And you may feel today, I'm going to pray now. You may feel today unreachable. You may feel, you may look at other people and you may think, well, I kind of understand that they've got a relationship with God. I kind of understand, but I haven't got one. I don't know why I struggle to believe. Or there can be questions that, logical questions and reasons in your mind that you feel oppose you. 
that, fe- that, that, that you feel hinder you reaching out to Jesus. Listen, he could answer all of the arguments in our head, but he refuses to do that because he loves us. He does not argue. He's not going to argue with you. He loves you. He didn't even argue with the devil when the devil said, if you are the Son of God. He didn't turn around and say, I am, I am, I am. He just said, it's written. It's written. It's written. No argument. No argument. Just authority and power. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for your word to us. I thank you, Lord, that your grace reaches us wherever we are. Thank you that it is a personal encounter with you that you offer us. And maybe today there's somebody here. They've never reached. They've never believed on you. But Lord, as I've spoken today, as we've sung together, their hearts have been softened. I want to ask you today, would you like this living water that Jesus offers? Salvation. Would you like a relationship with Jesus Christ? Not religion, but a relationship. He said and promises to you, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He doesn't ask you to say that to him because he knows that we would stumble and fall and fail and never be able to fulfill it. But he says to you and to I, I will never leave you or forsake you. Let me ask you today, in this quiet moment, would you like to ask Jesus Christ to be your personal Savior, to be your friend, to satisfy the longing of your heart and the need of your life? Pray this prayer with me today if you would like to receive Christ as your Savior. I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up. This is a personal moment. What I will ask you to do is tell the friend maybe that brought you. Or come and tell one of us after. That will help you. But this is a very important moment. You see, Jesus always brings us to a point of decision as to whether we're going to believe or whether we're going to reject, whether we're going to accept him or whether we're going to reject him. He never leaves us in middle ground. Now, he's not going to get all offended with you and he's not going to wrestle you to the floor, but he's bringing some of us today to a point of decision as to whether we're going to accept salvation or reject it. If you would like to ask Jesus Christ as your Savior, pray this prayer right now, and a miracle, 
a miracle and nothing less than a miracle will begin from this moment forward. I'll help you to pray quietly in your heart. Say this and mean it. Jesus, I ask you today to forgive me of all of my sins. I believe that you died on the cross and was punished for my sin. I believe that God raised you from the dead on the third day and now you are seated in heaven thank you for doing that for me I accept it and I ask now for a miracle to begin today in my heart for new life to be in my life sustain me from this day forward until one day I meet you face to face to enter your kingdom and your glory Amen. that's it James Amen, Amen.